gather at Jesus' greatest teaching uh, in the Sermon on the Mount of Matthew's Gospel. We're in over halfway through now. We're in the middle of chapter 6. We'll pick up in the 19th verse today. And Jesus has been trying to encourage us to walk closely with God and uh, to practice some practical things like generosity and prayer and fasting to help us make the most of our relationship with God. And today he wants to talk about where our treasure is stored. Where our treasure is stored. I don't know about you. I know as a little kid, um, you know, one of the kind of coolest things to dream about was being a pirate. Or if I couldn't be a pirate, maybe I could find a pirate's treasure, you know, and find that secret map where the X marks the spot and like the Goonies, you know, of course, they really found it, I guess. But like the Goonies, go, go looking and digging and see what we could find. And uh, in our life, we are often want to be treasure hunters. But Jesus points out that often, it's often more hard to hold on to our treasure than anything in the world. And so we're going to look together as he teaches us, starting in verse 19. This is what the Lord Jesus says. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And the eye it's the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy and your whole body will be full of light, but if your eyes are unhealthy and bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great that darkness. Because no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, um, as I come before you today, just be with us in our time together. Lord, helping us think to how we relate to our money and our stuff and our checkbook is not, often not easy because we place a lot of our faith in what we're able to store up for later. Um, but Lord, show us the best way and help us not settle for anything less than your best. And so come Holy Spirit, speak through my words in our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, for all of us, we all want to make a living. We all want to be able to put food on the table and do well in life and all those sorts of things. And some of us aspire to even more. You know, we want to be millionaires as quickly as we can. And every once in a while, I don't know about you, but you might look out for that next great investment, right? The next thing that's going to make you millions and millions of dollars. You know, for a lot of folks in the mid-2000s, that investment was housing. And so it seemed like everybody and their brother was getting into housing and trying to buy up a house and work on it a little bit and then resell it, you know, just in three or four months for a, 
X, X amount of more money. You know, and we're seeing another market now where housing has been kind of crazy even in these days. And though it's slowed down a bit, it's still, it's still, uh, we still need housing. But then 2008 came, right? And the bottom fell out and nobody wanted to buy a house anywhere. And so we had banks go under. We had people who were trying to make extra money uh, lose their money. We had all sorts of things and the bubble burst. Well, then I think crypto came on the scene and with crypto over the last, you know, early five, 10 years as well, there is all this influx of, there's an opportunity to make lots and lots of money in cryptocurrency with Bitcoin and other stuff like that. And the only, well, one of the main voices I heard was a bit skeptical was Warren Buffett, right? Warren's like, you know, buy real stuff. And we're not sure if crypto's real stuff or not. But, and, but many of us, we thought, you know, you'd make next big prize and treasure through crypto. And then crypto as well, the bottom fell out of it about a year or so ago. And another opportunity was gone. And, and then a third one is, you know, if we had to find treasure in today's day and age, right? Uh, it's often through playing the lottery for many people. They hope to get that next big treasure through the lottery. But I was looking at some of the rougher stories when it came to the lottery, and I did, I found a couple of folks who won the lottery but ended up um, not really enjoying it at all. I think of William Post, won $16 million. And very quickly when it was found out that he'd won that amount of money, um, his ex-girlfriend came along and said, I'd like some of it. And so he had to give a bunch to her. And then his brother wanted it all for himself and hired a hitman to bump him off. Now, fortunately, that wasn't successful. Though I have heard of another story where a, a girl came in and killed a guy that had won the lottery too. But suffice to say... He'd won $16 million, and a month after he'd received the money, he was a million in debt, and it was all gone. That treasure evaporated quickly. And then secondly, uh, I think of a fella named Jack Whitaker. He won $315 million, and he had done pretty well for himself. He was already a millionaire, but over the course of four years, um, he had two family members die of overdose to drugs. He had half a million dollars stolen from him in one day while he was sitting in his car. I mean, who would keep a half a million dollars in your car? I don't know that that would be the smartest thing. I've, I don't know. Anyway, as well, for Jack Whitaker, he lost 360 million dollars within four years and declared bankruptcy. Jesus points out that if we are looking for blessing in the treasures of this world, we gotta, we gotta hold to it loosely because it'll often totally disappear and slip through our fingers. Whether it's a moth or vermin that destroy it, whether it's a thief who comes in and steals, um, our worldly wealth, which we often feel a lot of security in, can and often will at some point in life let us down. 
And so Jesus tries to help us find that perfect investment, that place where you can send your money and your effort and your energy and pour it into now here in this world, and it will pay eternal dividends, and so much so with those dividends that it will never be taken away. It will never be taken away. And so today he shares, he says, listen, guys, don't focus on the worldly wealth you can store up here that you can lose. Instead, find a way to share the treasures and pour treasure into heaven because in that place, what you send on to heaven will never spoil or fade. The law of entropy will not work to destroy it. And it's, you, know, you can tell there I'm, a, I'm an engineer, right? That's my one engineer. Y'all know the law of entropy. If you want to learn some science today, the law of entropy basically says that everything in this world runs down unless you put extra energy into it, right? And that's what Jesus is saying, that, that whatever we have runs down. I was thinking we had a nice, uh, well, we, got a, a, we talked about a couple of weeks ago, we got a nice new roof on our house, right? Because our old roof of 17 years was running down. And that cost an awful lot of money. And then a couple of weeks ago, um, we had an air fryer, and the air fryer worked about a year, year and a half, maybe two. Well, it blew out, right? And so we had to go out and get another air fryer to replace the old. Just things break down. That's the law of entropy. And so Jesus warns us, instead of investing in things that break down or get stolen or disappeared, invest in other places. Invest in heavenly places. And so to kind of give you an example how we can get caught up into, into the wrong thing, because here's the key, here's the key. For me, what Jesus is trying to say is this. Jesus is trying to teach us that if we let money be in charge of our life, we will always be a slave to money, and then when that money disappears, we will be at rock bottom. He says, instead, um, let God rule your life. Let him take charge. And if we keep God first, our relationship with money gets a lot more healthy, gets to be a better benefit and blessing. And these are keys that we can take and use anywhere. I mean, when I talk with young couples especially, you know, often as young couples, we're trying to figure out how to live as a new married couple in a relationship and make the most of that. And one of the key areas where that can be a big challenge early on and even later on is at the financial part of that. You know, if you have a husband that wants to go out and buy lots of big toys, and the wife says, why are you spending all our money on big toys? We don't have enough money to take care of the kids. Or if you have a wife that goes out and says I just I feel a lot better about myself when I can go shopping and spend some money and the husband's there saying but but we've got to save we've we need we're spending more than we're making you know and so that conflict in the home can can really um, challenge young and early marriages and even later marriages and so I want to share an example of a family who struggled with this relationship that they had with money. And this comes from Mike Slaughter, who is a former pastor up in Ohio, from an Ohio family from Jay and Lori. And this is the story of, 
of their life and, and, uh, and, and sort of how Jesus worked in their lives. Jay shares this, my perception even when I look back to childhood is that I always liked money. And so when I got out of college and started my career and began seeing the possibilities of achieving the American dream, my focus was this, to become a millionaire as quickly as I could. And so I was always a very controlling kind of person. And I had not just talking about things, but whether it was people, places, or things, I always wanted to be in control. And so from a financial standpoint, I wanted to be a slumlord. Okay? I'd watch those get-rich-quick real estate schemes uh, that were on late night, and I started buying houses, fixing them up, working two or three other jobs. It was a total focus on self and feeling good. Achieving financial dreams was the way uh, that I was going to make me feel good. And so then when that wasn't happening or I was having to work far too much, I started, to have, I started taking the edge off through alcohol and other chemicals. In my haste to attain the American dream, I lost my health. I basically became spiritually, mentally, physically bankrupt at the age of 28. Then his wife, Lori, uh, pipes in and says, when we were in the pits, I was feeling very empty inside, thinking, how did I find myself in the midst of this horrible and total mess? I had a relationship with Christ at that point in time, and I did pray with some friends. We had a small group that would meet every now and then, and they knew some of the things we were going through, and they would pray with me and for us. We see in Jay and Lois' story, a story that we often can face in our own lives. In our desire to make a living or in our desire to, to do well financially, um, we can get our life out of whack. And in that, getting our life out of whack, um, instead of finding life and freedom and fun, we find that we're falling apart. So that was the case for them. And so Jesus' words again ring true. Make treasure in heaven. So how do we do that? What does treasure in heaven look like? Well, part of it can be financial, but it doesn't have to be. Part of it also just is in your relationship with God. Invest in eternal things, brothers and sisters. How are we doing in investing in eternal things? What are the things that will last beyond this world, beyond this life? What are the things that will last forever? Well, one is our relationship with the Creator through Jesus Christ. And so Jesus has already pointed out that there is a reward in prayer. There is a reward in fasting. There is a reward in investing in spiritual disciplines. Because the closer we get to God, that is a relationship we will have forever. That's a heavenly treasure. But he also goes on and says generosity in this life is also a big piece of this. We've already hit that note some in the past. For instance, in chapter 5, verse 37, he says, all you, let me see, make sure I get it right. No, that's not the right place, sorry. Chapter 5, verse 42. 
Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. And then he goes on in chapter 6, verse 2. When you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets, but give it in the secret place. Already several times Jesus has told us generosity to those in need, generosity for the kingdom's sake is a great way to store up heavenly treasure. But then the third way to store up heavenly treasure is also just in how we love and treat others, right? Jesus gave us two commandments. He said, listen, all the other commandments of the Old Testament are wrapped up in these two, love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The love we pour into each other, the love we pour into others, the love and forgiveness we offer to even those who've tripped us up and have hurt us. These kind of things are the treasures that nothing can steal from or take away. And so Jesus tries to help us with this. He points us in the right direction. And then he concludes, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And what is he sharing? He's sharing this, I think, that, that our heart is the one that guides us in what love looks like. Our heart guides us in what love and lasting love looks like. Our heart shows us the things we love. Our heart shows us the things we love. And here, loving stuff, loving our possessions, loving money is not going to get us very far. Instead, when we love God and love others and love generosity, those are treasures that will never spoil or fade. So the first is our heart shows us what we really love. If you want to know what you love, look at your checkbook. Look at your credit card statement. What are you spending your money on over and over and over again? Are there moments of generosity in the checkbook? Are there moments of sacrificial giving on the credit card where you've used it to bless someone else? If so, you're on a good track. But not only does the heart guide us in what we love, Jesus goes on to say our eye as well makes a difference. He says the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy and bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And he says when the light within you becomes darkness, how great is that darkness? If our heart shows us what we love, our eyes show us what we're passionate about. Our eyes show us what we desire. Our eyes show us what we're tempted by, lust for, and hungry for. And so he challenges us here to as well keep our eyes in a good place, a place that will fill our body with light. It matters what we see and what we watch and what we take in. When our eyes see that mansion on the hill and think, oh, I really wish I had that. When our eyes see the next, you know, two, $300,000 RV camper and we say, oh, I got to really have that. And see something else, you know, see the latest, biggest TV and, oh, I really got to have that. 
if that is the hunger and thirst that drives your life, that is a hunger and thirst of darkness that will hurt us and harm us and destroy us. Lord, have mercy. Um, in our life, there is so much brokenness. There is so much we can feed our eyes with that can harm our heart and lives, and from that can harm others. And so Jesus challenges us not only where is your heart, he challenges us how are our eyes looking. Our eyes show us what we really desire. Are your eyes healthy this morning? And then the third thing he does to look at this is he reminds us that ultimately the issue is who's going to be in charge of our life? Who's going to be in charge? Everyone has a master who runs the show, and we think it's us. But Jesus says, no, it's not really you. It's probably more likely your stuff and your money. The word used here, you cannot serve both God and money. You know in the King James, right, that's the word mammon. Mammon was a Jewish Aramaic kind of sort of word, and it represented for Jewish people that negative sort of gaining money to acquire money in an unhealthy or destructive way. That's what mammon was, to acquire possessions in a negative way. And so with this picture, um, it paints pictures for us like if you're a, a small business person, right? You're running your own business. I think one of the greatest challenges in faith as a Christian running your own business as an entrepreneur is this, that you've got to find a way to balance making a living putting food on your table, uh, having employees that work for you. You've got to find a balance for, for, for doing that well, while at the same time uh, with your customers doing something that doesn't harm your customer. It doesn't take advantage of your customer. In the Christian faith, we're called on uh, to w in whatever we do to do it in a way that... Uh, honors and loves both our customers and our workers and ourselves all in one. And that's hard to balance, right? That's hard to balance. But that's the kind of thing that Jesus challenges us with here. We can't serve two masters. Either we'll hate the one and love the other, we'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You know, um, Bob Dylan used to say it this way. He said, you've got to serve somebody, right? It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody. That was kind of Bob Dylan's heyday when he was, he was growing in his Christian faith in that moment. And it still applies as true. Either God is our God or other things are our God and we must choose. An example of that from Dr. Dennis Kinlaw that I want to share this morning um, comes from a fella named George Crowley. George Crowley was an Anglican pastor in the Church of England, and he also did all sorts of things, but one, he wrote hymns and poems, and this is a hymn and poem to share with you today. Spirit of God, he says, descend upon my heart, wean it from the earth, though 
all its pulses move. Stoop to my weakness, mighty as thou art, and help me love thee as I ought to love. Teach me to love thee as thine angels love. One holy passion, all my frame, the baptism of the heaven-descended dove, my heart an altar, and thy love the flame. Dr. Kinlaw notes this about the song. Note the cry for totality. Through, through all its pulses move, and filling all my frame. Crowley knew that anything less than all was not a, not a satisfactory offering to present to God. He dared not be content with anything less. His offering must, in accordance with the Old Testament thinking, be a whole burnt offering. He then goes on and says, Too often the church has been willing to present a gospel that demands less of its members than this. And when it does, it is making no accommodation for its adherents. It is actually cheating the needy because a partial surrender to Christ Jesus means a partial experiencing of his grace. And surely that is no gain. As certainly as the Spirit is better than the flesh, a life in which the Spirit moves through every pulse and in which a burning, passionate love fills all its frame is better than one with mixed loyalties. What George Crowley and Dennis Kinlaw are sharing with us today is that point. If we want God's best, We've got to be willing to let him be in charge of the whole thing. We can't pick and choose. We can't say, well, I give you my kids, but don't touch my bank account. You know, we, we can't pick and choose. Jesus points us, it's got to be all or nothing. And from the story I'd shared earlier, that is exactly what Jay and Lori learned in their journey too. When Jay's life came to the very bottom, that's where he found a beautiful Savior. Jay shares this, One night right before I was about to pass out in my chair, I finally put up my arms in the sky and I said, God, help me. I don't care what it takes. Help me. The next day, Lori was a part of an intervention that ultimately got me into a treatment center. And I can remember as clear as if it was yesterday, I was sitting in this treatment center in the lounge late at night by myself. And I was going through my mail, and there was a little book that was one of Lori's friends had sent to me that contained instructions on how to turn your life over to Jesus Christ. He says, in the past, I thought I was already fixed. I didn't need that, but I was so bankrupt at this point in time that I read the book and I said, all right, Jesus, obviously I can't do it. You can. It's time that I let you. Lori and I at that time had nothing. You see, my profession is such that I couldn't afford to go back to work and I didn't know if I was going to have a job. 
we had to sell all our properties. I sold a huge part of my coin collection, which I had had for years. And as I look back on that, and this may sound weird, but I'm glad it all happened. I got rid of all the stuff that almost took me to my grave. For me today, I gather strength in turning the ownership of everything I have over to God. And it starts with my family. I don't own my kids. I'm here to guide and lead and help them grow. It's the same way with my marriage and my business. Lori goes on to share her perspective that there's more freedom in Jesus Christ and freedom when you give yourself over to Christ and realize that everything we have is not really ours at all. And Jay concludes, It's been amazing what God's done to bless the business. We've actually grown exponentially from a financial standpoint and from how many people we get to provide care for and also how many employees who experience a positive impact in their lives. It's been an unbelievable journey, something I know I could never do on my own. God's given me an opportunity to be a part of this as long as I give it to him. Brothers and sisters, Jay and Lori learned the lesson that all of us have to learn at some point in place. That our stuff here on earth will not last forever. And we can't trust in it to be there all the time. But what we can have faith in is that if we will be generous and joyful, love God and love others, that there is a treasure waiting for us that nothing will take. No downturn in the economy will affect it. No other negative circumstances, no, no thief, no falling out of the crypto market. Instead, God has a treasure for you and me. And the way there is just to trust him and let him be in charge. And so may we let God help us in that journey. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Will you pray with me? Jesus, today,